She bought me paper dolls of Zigfield Follies dancers to mutilate, and showed me her own fat volumes of works by decadent English illustrator Aubrey Beardsley, and French poster artist Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec. I watched in awe as she assembled a dollhouse from cut paper. She helped me with my first attempts at art, squeezing paint into a neatly arrayed color wheel for me. I mixed the colors together until I ruined the palette. When my Aladdin looked nothing like the one in the books, I howled till my eyes were raw. He doesn't look right because you're drawing his nose like an upside-down seven, my mother told me and held my hand, guiding me through tear ducts and nostrils. When I was young, my parents lived in a house in far Rockaway, Queens. The city had neglected the neighborhood so thoroughly that packs of wild dogs stalked through the streets. The neighbors ran a chop shop in our shared backyard, concealing the cars beneath overgrown ivy. Their two daughters played with me in the cars, until the day we found a dead cat, rotting on the front seat of a gutted Chevy. After that, we hid in their basement, leafing through their father's porn. When I was seven, my parents divorced. The year 1991 was a bad one for my mom. Her mother died of cancer, and computers hit the toy industry, making her hand-done illustrations obsolete. She had been a successful commercial artist for more than 20 years, but a field can change fast. Suddenly, she and her colleagues were no longer needed, My mother and I moved to a small apartment on Long Island, and she started dating a big Irish guy who spent the weekends getting smashed and singing Danny Boy at local bars. Money was tight. She worked a series of gigs, substitute teacher, receptionist, before finally landing a job as the art director at a vending machine company. At least it paid for her health insurance. Every other weekend, mi padre made the three-hour drive to pick me up from my mother's apartment. As our car crossed the Verrazano Bridge, he had me recite the names of New York's boroughs, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, Bronx, Queens, repeated like a catechism. The green cables holding up the bridge flew past. The water swirled beneath us, and the skyscrapers pulled into the distance. It was an impossible city, a silver Babylon. Mi padre came to New York as a child. His own father, mi abuelito, had escaped the sugarcane fields of Puerto Rico by joining the U.S. Army. After World War II, abuelito married a seamstress, moved to Brooklyn, and had four kids. They lived in one room. He got a job in a factory, which gave him the cancer that eventually killed him, and augmented his wages by making loans and buying property that he rented out to other Latino immigrants. Because he was brown, the factory he worked at refused to promote him. Every Saturday, he drank till he passed out, sometimes in tears, because he had to train the white men who would become his supervisors. Growing up, mi padre worked the midnight shift loading trucks with copies of the New York Daily News. He rode shotgun, throwing bundles of papers out at the stops.
though the driver refused to deliver to black or Puerto Rican neighborhoods. My father's intellect crackled around him in sly, sarcastic sparks, and eventually he won a place at Brooklyn Tech, one of the city's elite public high schools. From there, he went to the City University of New York, and finally to Columbia University. When mi padre was in his early twenties, he got into a motorcycle crash. My mother was riding on the back. His shoulder was dislocated, which saved him from Vietnam. Her leg was shattered. She spent nearly a year in a cast up to her hip. Mi padre became a professor of political science. He was also a Marxist, and he was eager to introduce me to Puerto Rico's history of resistance. On our car rides, he entertained me with stories of Jean Lafitte, reimagining him as a communist pirate who liberated plantations.